This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. I'm Paul New. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs from AOPA. Ask the AMPs is where we try to address any and all maintenance questions that come our way. If you have a question, reach us at podcasts at aopa.org. That's podcasts at aopa.org. And if you like the show, subscribe on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. So I have a question. Am, am I reading it right? That And can I ask, is uh, AirVenture actually looking like it may happen this year? I just uh, actually got an um, email today from Mark Force, who's the guy that organizes all the forums. And he says that they are all systems go for AirVenture 2021, that they are going to be doing some social distancing in the forums and the larger forums are going to be kind of limiting attendance and maybe scheduling multiple iterations of the most popular forums so that everybody who wants to get into one will have a chance to get into one. But otherwise, he said it's normal and we should go ahead and send him our forums proposals. I had talked to Charlie Becker a week ago and he said he thought the chances of AirVenture 2021 being a go was about 90%. Mark seemed to think it was 100%. So it's somewhere in that range. It's time to get the uh, get the house reserved and yes. be thinking about those brats. Those brats, yeah, oh, that was the first thing I thought. Yeah, man, the brat barbecue. They didn't say anything about whether you would have to bring a vaccination card with you or, or anything like that. But uh, apparently, they're doing an awful lot of thinking about it up in Oshkosh as to exactly how they're going to pull this thing off. Well, Mike, we're going to need a bigger tent for your forums for sure. Okay, let's get rolling with Jeff, who has a question about tires. Go ahead, Jeff. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? My name is Jeff, and I have a question about a Beechcraft Premier 390 business jet. Beechcraft, during initial testing, only used Michelin tires during the certification of the airplane, and now tells us that is only tire that can be used on that aircraft. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Michelin tires in that size has been very difficult to get a hold of at times, and they're quite costly. I was wondering if it's possible to use a Goodyear tire that's the exact same size, but Textron Aviation technical support says no. 
why would that not be just a minor alteration just like we do on all small airplanes? Because I see six different tired brands, all of the same size for my Cessna 150. Why would a Part 23 normal category jet be any different? I think we charge extra for a turbine uh, input. (laughs) Shop rates are different, you know, and you start burning jet fuel. (laughs) Sorry. That's a that's an interesting question. I well, I'll vent, I'll venture a guess for for small airplanes. Uh, we we put pretty much any brand tire we want on because the airplanes are certified for a tire by TSO, and any tire that meets that TSO is acceptable. When you get to multi-engine turbines, all the rules change. For multi-engine turbines, unless you have a special maintenance approved maintenance plan that that your FISDO has approved, you're required to comply with the manufacturer's maintenance program. So for small airplanes, what the manufacturer says is generally a a suggestion (laughs) that we can take or leave as we wish. When you get to multi-engine turbines, it's no longer a suggestion. It's, It's the law. And it's interesting, if you go to the Goodyear site, they do list the 390 on the site and list a, a certain tire model for that aircraft. But then there's a big caveat in bold letters at the bottom that says you have to check with the aircraft manufacturer. You can't just go ahead and use what we're suggesting. It's interesting that Textron would certify the airplane with only one specific tire. As Mike said, on small airplanes, anything that matches the TSO you know, we don't care if it's Condor, Goodyear, Michelin, as long as it meets the same TSO. Yeah. Yeah, I put retreads on my 310, and I, that's sure. not considered an alteration at all. It, it's considered a direct substitution of an equivalent part. So, Jeff, is this airplane, uh, is it used for 135 or any sort of fly for hire where you have a, a specific maintenance program that you've designed yourself? No, it's strictly Part 91. Okay. And you're using the factory's maintenance program? Yes. Yeah, if that program calls for that specific tire, I think you're stuck. Okay. That's what I was wondering if it just turbine world is just a whole nother set of rules and I can't apply small GA, even though it's all built to kind of the same regulations, but uh, I mean, it is what it is. Well, but they, 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 aren't, they aren't the same regulations. That's the thing. The certification regulations may be the same but the maintenance regulations are very different once you once you cross the line into multi-engine turbines or cross the line above 12,500 pounds a whole different set of rules kick in that are much more constraining did you check to see if textron carried these tires uh it's hit or it was hit or miss sometimes they have them sometimes they don't just because Mm -hmm. demand is it's a very common tire on a lot of different light jets so they can be used up and gone, and then we have to wait for a Michelin to get some more out. Sounds like you need to buy up the uh, industry's inventory as soon as you get a chance. Yeah, <laughs> it, does, it does seem very unusual that they would certify it strictly with Michelin tires. That that strikes me as being very odd as well. I think as a customer, I would contact the powers that be at Textron and tell them that as a customer, you're very dissatisfied that your airplane's grounded because you can't find a tire. You know, I can see if you can't find an engine or a left wing or a nose cone or something, but a tire, they they need to be a little proactive for you there. 
I mean, those, yeah, those are consumables. They're not. Sure. Uh, <laughs> That's like oil. I can't find any oil for my airplane. Oh. Yeah, but he's already been told that Textron said they'd have to go through testing of that tire. Do you think that's just a, a, he's getting, getting a line from them, or is that really true? No, the guys at, at Textron Engineering are, are generally, they're pretty sharp right. guys. Yeah. But it's not the engineer guys we need to be talking to. It's their supply side. Well, they're the uh, ones that need to get on the my, my my question is: did, did Jeff hear this directly from Textron, or or did he hear it secondhand from his <laughs> good, shop? Good, yeah, good question. Um, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, I was told that it has to do with the the flight testing, the stop landing distances, and all those factors. Those were never done on Goodyear tires, and only Michelin. So we don't have any of that data. Yeah, it it it, it might it might be worth making a call to Textron yourself. It may be that the, the guy that the shop talked to got up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, and <laughs> if you talk to a different person, you might yeah. get a different answer. Yeah, and they'll talk to you. By the way, you can call Textron, and they'll send you to engineering, and you can actually talk to the people directly. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. It was a great question. I actually looked through the FARs and was trying to figure out if your jet was under different rules, and I couldn't find it. So I think um, this was a really great question for us to talk about. Thanks for uh, asking it. No problem. Thank you for uh, your input. I appreciate it. We'll send you the extra bill. <laughs> and I guess you'll have to use the 150 in the interim. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks for calling. See ya. Okay, next up is Dave, who hasn't flown his airplane in a few years and wants to make sure he gets it airworthy the right way. What you got, Dave? Uh, well, thanks for having me. What a fun way to learn more about our airplanes. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. On a tangent, I had dinner with, with Mike about 10 years ago at Oshkosh and offended him, so um, <laughs> I apologize. I find that hard to believe. Mike is pretty difficult to offend. You sure it's not the other way around? <laughs> Clearly. No, I don't, think, I don't think he said he offended me. I think he said he friended me. Oh, there, okay, that's good. A little bit of both. So I've got a, a Cessna 140 that, because of some maintenance that grew and grew, um, I have not flown for three years. I did not anticipate it being that long when I put it away. I put it away with about 10 hours on an oil change, had cam guard in it, and I'm in southern Arizona, so maybe I'm making a big deal out of nothing. But I'd really like to get some lubrication on the cam lobes before I start it. Might sound kind of bizarre, but from looking at the schematic, I think I've got the kidney oil sump with the long filler neck, if you're familiar with the C85s. I think if I fill, if I overfill it to literally it running out the top of that filler neck, that I'll get the cam submerged in oil. This, I, I've not had any customer ever go this far in their thought process. <laughs> that's, that's really good. Well, I thought if I did that, pulled the prop through a half dozen times by hand to get some oil on the lobes, drain it, put in the correct amount. Am I overthinking this? Will it even get the cam wet if I overfill it? Am I going to get oil and magnetos and alternator generators? And, uh, you know, is it, is it a good idea, a bad idea, or, or what? I've, I've never, man, I have to think about that a minute. How many quarts would it take? I don't know, but, you know, I can buy. Fill up to the crankshaft. 
I can buy gallons of <laughs> aeroshell for yeah, radials okay. for, I mean, hey. if I spend a couple hundred bucks on oil and it saves me a $10,000 engine, that seems like a reasonable trade-off. Be- before you guys go too far down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. Uh, I, 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 w- I, would like, I would like to make two observations. The, the first observation is that in Tucson, Arizona, corrosion is uh, disallowed by statute. <laughs> And the second thing is that I wrote an article that appeared in AOPA Pilot not too long ago called Power Plant Resurrection that talks exactly about the situation that you're addressing, which is what do you do before the first start of an engine that's been sitting around for a long time? And it goes into a fair amount of detail. I won't go into it here, but basically it does not suggest overfilling the the engine with oil, but what it does suggest is atomizing a fine oil, a, a fine mist of, of, of oil with a with a, a, a high pressure atomization system, which I forget the part number. You can buy it on Amazon for about ten bucks, and and to spray a, a mist of oil both into the crankcase through the oil filler or whatever the most common uh, a handy place to to do it is some some engines uh, the breather is a good place to spray it in some the oil filler is and to atomize oil into each of the cylinders through a spark plug hole just to get some lubricant uh, on as much as you can before you start the engine but I, I i i would not particularly recommend overfilling the engine with oil and and then draining it out it sounds very messy, and it sounds like it might have some adverse consequences. Would he even create hydraulic lock in one of the cylinders by oil draining in through an no. open valve? No, he wouldn't have oil in the valve. I mean, it would all be below the piston, or at least it should be below the piston. So, Mike, I, um, I'll, I'll look into that. And, and I saw that article that you wrote, and I tried using a engine degrease gun, you know, a siphon gun to see if I could get that to be the atomizer. And it didn't, it wasn't able to suck up the oil. So one of my buddies said, well, use diesel. I said, well, I'm not <laughs> thinking I'm going to do that. Uh, but so is there something on Amazon that's, that's got enough grunt to, to suck up the viscosity of oil? Well, you, you don't want to spray aeroshell 100 in there. You, 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 you want to spray SAE 10, very, very light oil in there, uh, you know, a light penetrating oil, actually things like ACF 50 uh, or, or Corrosion X that are designed to be atomized in a very fine mist work, work great. You just want to get a little pre-lube on things. Uh, this is not operating oil that you're, that you're putting in there. It's something that you can atomize in a very fine mist so it will drift around and, and get on, on everything. Um, and of course, you know that's what we do in airframes with with uh, with these corrosion preventative compounds, and and they do a nice job of lubricating. It's amazing how, what a good penetrating oil um, corrosion X is. Um, but but it's a but but we're not trying to atomize normal operating oil, which is very viscous. We're tr- we're doing this with a very very light oil, so I think that's really the the disconnect. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, guys. That's been a, a big help, and I'm going to go get an. So, so Mike, is the atomizer the same thing that they sell for the ACH? ACH. I mean, 
A- ACF fifty. ACF fifty. I'm sorry. Um, no, the I mean the when we're using that stuff in airframes, it involves kind of expensive high pressure equipment, which I'm not su- suggesting that you get. But I'd, I'd have to look up the AOPA article. But I did. I I suggested a specific little thing that was designed specifically to spray lube, and it's available very cheaply on Amazon. Cool. I will look. I will find. I'll go reread the article and and order that. Okay. Yeah. It was. It's called Power Plant Resurrection. Was the name of the article. Dave, appreciate the call very yeah, much. Yeah, Dave. Sounds like we saved you a couple bucks in oil that you're going to waste in your engine. So good deal. And, and, and <laughs> kitty litter cleaning up the mess. I would have <laughs> I just thought that was a great idea, though. I think if you Google Mike Bush Power Plant Resurrection, it'll take you right to the article. So it should be easy to find. Great. Thanks a lot, Dave. We appreciate your question. Take care. See ya. So our next question comes from Paul, which means it's definitely going to be a phenomenal question and very intriguing because anybody named Paul is going to have a great question. Go ahead, Paul. Let us know what's up. So uh, it it seems like the the literature and YouTube, they're sort of replete with all kinds of questions about lubricating the engine and all the moving parts in the engine and things. My question is towards the other parts, the other hundred parts in an aircraft. Now, specifically, you know, everything's outside of the aircraft. So I was hoping you could comment and weigh in on the uh, recommended lubricants and frequency at which they should be done applied to all those moving parts, ailerons, flap hinges, etc., on the exterior of the aircraft. I live in New York, and uh, currently I use LPS2. Seems to be working well, well, and I do that about biannually. So what kind of airplane do you have? Oh, so I have a RV-10 that I built in Oregon with the help of Synergy Air. And actually, the person who put in the panel is the same guy who put in the AOPA panel, uh, Rob Hickman. He's excellent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it. It's been uh, about four years now. Flew it home from Oregon, and I'm enjoying every minute of the airplane. Well, so in the experimental world, you can lubricate with pretty much anything you want in the Certified world, there's actually a lubrication chart in the service manuals that tells you what you should, and it doesn't tell you what you shouldn't use, but it does tell you what you should use. When I do classes on the 182 and the 210s, I kind of have a little thing that I tell everybody, if it moves, squirt it with something, especially if it's something that you can get to externally. On Cessnas, strutted wing Cessnas with the uh, piano hinge, ailerons, and trim tabs, just a little drizzle of LPS2 or TriFlow or even CorrosionX just does wonders, especially if the airplane's parked outside. So you can use all sorts of things. Uh, CorrosionX is one that I use often on metal airplanes because when it drips off of what you're lubricating, it also helps prevent corrosion. It's not a phenomenal lubricant, but it's a phenomenal penetrant and all sorts of nasty stuff that was in that hinge or bolt or whatever it was that's moving starts waking out and and you know it's doing a good job. But on the certified airplanes, typically all those little moving parts that you see during a pre-flight will call for a lubricant. It's a very thin oil. It's called 7870B. And it's, uh, it's just a light oil, nothing special about it. It's been around since, I don't know, Wilburn Orville, I guess. But very few shops keep that around, and it, it doesn't hang very long. So we 
we typically replace that like you with LPS2, LPS1. I like TriFlow because it's Teflon. It sticks longer. TriFlow is actually what Mooney rec- recommends for the, uh, the rod ends on the flight controls because it stays so well and it, uh, it does a really good job. What do you use, Colleen? Well, there's a whole section of uh, section one of my maintenance manual for the Cardinal that shows entire parts of the airplane and uh, little notes of what should be used in each part. And the majority of it is LPS2, anything from door hinges to aileron hinges to rod ends. But then there's also grease, different kinds of grease for all the scissors, bolts in the um, nose gear. There's a lot of bolts up there that are greasable bolts. They have grease nipples on them. So you force grease. That's hard, like Aeroshell 5 or Aeroshell 22 that you push through there. I have LPS 3 on the shelf, and I think there's only one place that that's used, and it's really obscure. And I think that that bottle went bad before I could actually empty it. it. It's a very thick lubricant, and it actually attracts dirt. So it's not something I would use around the landing gear or the wheels. Paul, do you remember where a 3 might be used? Three is really a corrosion preventative thing. It's a, it? it's a it's a waxy yeah. uh, thing. That's yeah. That's it's a corrosion preventative compound. One is the is the is the oilless silicone stuff. That's LPS one is good to spray into door locks and things like that. But I'm 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 an LPS two and Aeroshell twenty two guy. Yeah, <laughs> that that pretty much covers almost everything on my airplane. And my, my old IA, before I became an IA, he used to yell at me that I was using too, too much. And he would s- almost say, uh, squirt it on a rag and put it on, as opposed to just like squirting the heck out of it and having it dripping all over. Because, you know, you open up the plane and it's been a year since you did this and there's still lots of grease in there. So you can <laughs> overdo it. So use a rag and the spray bottle to do it. Now, I, I, do, I do use TriFlow uh, in a specific application, uh, and that's for lubricating push-pull cables, things like engine control cables and stuff. Because hmm. it wicks? I, I force it in with, with air pressure. I, I basically take a, a, a piece of uh, surgical tubing and tie wrap it to one end of the cable and fill it up with TriFlow and then put an air nozzle on and force it into the cable, and it does a really nice job. You can get uh, the motorcycle guys have a little tool that clamps on the end of like a clutch cable or a brake cable. Yeah, I've, I've got one of those too. Yeah. I've never had that great luck with it though. <laughs> That's what... You're, you're going you're gonna to laugh. I used to disconnect my prop control cable and stick it up vertically and pour a funnel of Marvel's mystery oil into it and let it just soak through the whole thing overnight. <laughs> and it would help. It, it helped, but that was... So do, you can do the, do the same thing with TriFlow though. Hmm. Okay. Because it's got a silicone. But, you know, there'd be nothing wrong with uh, Paul getting um, a, a maintenance manual lubrication guide from a certified airplane and using that as guidance around his aircraft. A lot of those things are the same. Yeah, a lot of the, the type of fixtures, the type of uh, hinges and hinge points. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. If it moves, squirt it with something. Right. If it, if it moves, use LPS2. If it doesn't move, use JB Weld. <laughs> 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 oh no! I think I, I think that I think it's supposed to go if it if it's supposed to move but doesn't use LPS two. If it's not supposed to move but does use duct JB Weld, I think that's how tape. it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <Duct tape. laughs> All right, Paul. Did we sufficiently uh, stir the pot for you there? 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like what I'm doing is perfectly okay. I just never thought about the push-pull cables. I just, you know, the exposed ends where I can see them, I, I do spray some LPS on it. I usually use an eyedropper because hmm. it's handy and it's convenient uh, rather than the whole spray bottle because then it yeah. does get kind of messy. If, but the push-pull cables on the internals, I, I've never thought of actually, you know, spraying into that. Well, your plane's too new for those cables to get bound up. Just wait. Yeah. Well, if you have the wire-wound push-pull cables that don't have any sort of nylon insert, a little corrosion X just dripped along that wire winding will eventually make its way inside. So this is preventive. If you keep it lubricated, it, it'll do really well. Don't forget to lubricate your control cables and pulleys as well. Those control cables, all the the strands in those cables work against each other every time the cable bends. So wherever it turns around a pulley, all those are working against each other. And if you have, I don't know if you have stainless cables, uh, the stainless steel cables tend to wear from the inside out. And so lubricant will help draw some of that out so you don't have all the grit down in there. That sounds like a good a good place to use TriFlow, huh? Yeah, TriFlow is a, a, a great thing to use in there. Absolutely. So, so the only cables on the 10 is for the rudder pedal, the rudder controls. Everything else right. is just push-pull. Right. Yep. I was building a 10 many years ago, Dad and I. That brings back some memories. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, truly a labor of love. Uh, it's just wonderful. Absolutely. Well, Paul, thanks for your question. We appreciate the call very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, enjoy. See you, Paul. Okay, the next uh, person we've got here is Chris, who has a question about uh, blue oil in his cutlass. Go ahead, Chris, and tell us what you got. Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, I've got maybe two issues. The blue oil is uh, the most troubling one for me to figure out. Um, so I've got a long story. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible in case any of the story relates to the problem. So I've got a recently overhauled uh, engine in the Cutlass. When I was at 40 hours since overhaul, I had a long taxi and a lot, a lot of time idling. And when I was doing my pre-flight check out of my peripheral vision, I noticed some puffing smoke coming from under the engine. Never good. So, <laughs> yeah. So I pulled it to idle, set the parking brake, opened the door, looked under, and I could see puffing smoke. Okay. So at that point, I decided to... Uh, boroscope the cylinders because I hadn't had any reason to do so yet. Uh, I did so, and there's quite a bit of oil, at least in my opinion, in each cylinder. Contacted the engine shops, uh, oil control rings probably just aren't broken in yet, yada, yada. Let's take a look at 60 hours or so. They all break in differently. Okay, so I got to about 55 hours, and uh, that's when all of a sudden I started getting blue oil on the ground from the intake manifold drain line. Uh, the cutlass has the horizontal carb, so there's a drain line out of the sump that I guess drains excess fuel out of the intake manifold. Um, at first I thought it was uh, fuel, but it ended up being oil. Uh, three consecutive flights, each about an hour long, parked the airplane, no oil, come back the next morning, there's oil on the ground, estimating probably maybe uh, half a teaspoon, I think my email, I put 
a tablespoon. That's no way it's that much. So probably half a teaspoon, something like that. So contact the engine shop. And they want to see the airplane. I said, okay, my tachometer was sent out for overhaul at the time. So I had to do delay. During the delay, I was making adjustments to my Airwolf air oil separator. I have a wet vacuum pump. Uh, it has a air oil separator and it had been weather had changed i'm not sure if uh use of cow flaps changed what was going on but i was getting more oil out my air oil separator so i had to make some adjustments air wolf's very specific about test line test line test line to get that thing set up just right so i did that i flew the airplane up uh, to the engine shop which is about an hour and 10 minute flight i got there I got out. There's again, there's no oil just yet. It always appears later after sitting. Gave them the airplane. Uh, they test flew it. They claimed it never dripped any oil, uh, but they did see oil coming from their oil separator. So they played with that too. They flew it two hours. I picked the airplane up. I brought it back. Uh, their oil separator was extremely dry. I mean, they did a great job with that. It's all set up right. Uh, and guess what? No oil coming out of that. No blue oil. So I flew it two more times, no blue oil. And then I got this email that I'm going to be on the podcast. So I was like, well, I'll go borescope the cylinder. I'll go borescope the cylinders today just to see what they look like. Well, they still look the same. And guess what's on the ground today? <laughs> blue oil. You can't blue win. Oil. <laughs> the blue oil has started back. Yes. And I've, I've been asked, are you sure it's oil? It, it, it is oil. Yeah. yeah. Well, so just a couple of little points on that airplane. High-wing airplanes, you have fuel above the engine, and so there's head pressure involved. Any, and it usually happens on fuel-injected engines where fuel can leak past, get through the injectors, into the cylinders, and into the intake pipes. It can also happen in a carbureted engine. So the only thing in the airplane that's blue is avgas. So somewhere you're getting avgas mixing with oil. You can have oil in the induction pipes uh, just because the the back pressure and, and all that. And you have fuel in the induction pipes, well, because the engine's running, but also in priming the engine, you can have raw fuel there. So there's always going to be some pressure to send fuel into the induction system. So the, the carburetor is a part of the key as well. Are you consuming oil? In other words, I guess what I'm saying is a small puddle of oil under the engine, you know, a a tablespoon or two or three is almost normal. But are you seeing consumption in any kind of quantity on the dipstick? Well, my consumption is not where I want it. Before I took the airplane uh, back to the engine shop, consumption was around eight hours to a quart. But it start, seemed to start getting worse. And I honestly, I think that was maybe due to the uh, Airwolf air oil separator. I think there was a siphon going on on the exhaust that air oil separator, and I was losing some there. Um, the oil consumption, that's where, that's where it's at. Chris, I'd like to throw a couple of things out at you. This is Mike. First of all, I, 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 I need to quibble with my, my pal Paul about the <laughs> fact that, that a puddle of oil under the engine is normal at shutdown. I don't think that that's true. It is, it is, absolutely normal for fuel to be in the intake manifold. And that's particularly true on a carbureted engine because on an injected engine, what's going through the intake manifold is basically air, but in a carbureted engine, it's a, it's a fuel air mixture. So 
having fuel in the in the induction system is normal, and that's why you've got a, a low point drain. But having oil in the induction system is not normal. And I know of only one way that oil gets into the induction system, and that is that the oil seal on one or more of the intake valves is not sealing. Those engines, when they're when the cylinders are built up, have an oil seal around the stem of, of each intake valve that is designed to prevent the oil that sits up in the in the rocker box area of the cylinder from going down the the annulus between the intake valve guide and the intake valve stem and, and getting into the intake port. And, and it sounds to me pretty likely that at least one of your intake valve oil seals is not sealing very well. And that's how oil is getting into the intake manifold. Again, fuel there is perfectly normal. And a little puddle of fuel from the intake drain is, is not unusual. But if it's real oily and you're pretty convinced that it's predominantly oil that's mixed with fuel, then that's not, that, that's not normal. And I think probably the easiest way to identify which oil seal is the culprit is to go borescope those cylinders again, but this time borescope them with the prop rotated until the intake valves are completely open and work the borescope up there so that you can actually look at the backside of the intake valve and the, the part of the valve stem that's sticking out the guide in, into the intake port. Those should not be oily. The backside of the intake valve should not be oily. And if you see one cylinder that where, where the backside of the intake valve is oily, then you've nailed the culprit. And the problem will be the the oil seal on that intake valve. And that's not a very hard job to, to change. You need to pull a, the rocker shaft and the rockers off and pull off the valve springs. But but changing that, that oil seal is, is, is not terribly hard. It doesn't involve taking the cylinder off or doing anything real invasive. Well, Chris, if it's any consolation, I have always, and for 30 years, had that little puddle of oil and fuel under my engine, and I never realized that it was a intake valve. And I've never seen an oily intake valve stem on borescopes, so now I'm going to have to go back and look. But I thought oh. it was perfectly normal. And, and how long did your engine last? Uh, well past TBO. Oh, 20. man. It's a good thing yeah, you didn't I know. look. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think this is going to affect how long the engine lasts. It's, no. yeah. <laughs> it's more, more of a cosmetic problem. Yeah, it's just I just wipe it up every time I see it. It's no big deal. So you're, you're getting a, a quart of oil every eight hours. And I'm curious how long in between, in other words, you're, you have some standard that you're using, I assume, for when you're checking the oil for this comparison. Do you wait a day before you check the oil or a week before you check the oil after the previous flight to know what it's back up to? Uh, I, I, base, I take my readings before each flight. And so just depending on whether it's either been a day or several days. Because it'll make a difference. Several days will give you a higher reading than one day. On uh, the Permold 550s, like on the Cirrus and the Columbias, I have seen as much as a whole quart difference reading between one day and seven days. It, it takes that long. 
sometimes for certain engines for all that oil to drain back to the sump. And that starts a whole different conversation about oil changes that I won't get into. So I will check uh, the valve seals, but on the oil on the cylinders, what's an acceptable time since overhaul to not really show standing oil on the cylinders? I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go with yeah. the engine shops telling me, oh, nine hours per quart. That's not bad. Or eight hours per quart. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. It is perfectly acceptable. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny you should mention oil in the cylinders because, you know, I, I'm, I'm flying a Cessna 310. <laughs> and the engines in the Cessna 310 are canted a little bit because they, they're, they're, they're mounted at the, at the wing dihedral angle. They're not perfectly level. And so... You know, when I borescope my engines, I always see oil in the cylinders on the downhill side of the engine. And I almost <laughs> never see oil in the cylinders on the uphill side of the engine. And I don't stress about it. It's just, I just know that it's normal. So My twin Comanche is the same way. All right. Well, I greatly appreciate your time. And I will check the, uh, the valve seals and let you know what I find. Excellent. Good. Sounds good, Chris. Um, I know it doesn't sound like you're 100% satisfied, but I think um, you have some things to think about. That's <laughs> <laughs> just been a frustrating process. Well, yeah, I understand. Well, we've given them some homework assignments, you know, so. Yeah, we'll start you're, there. You're, you're welcome to come back after you See, this is why this is why you don't overhaul your engine, because it introduces all these extra problems you didn't have before. That's right. <laughs> just saying. You just had the one problem before. Yeah. Yeah. It just introduces so many unknowns, but you're you're going down the right path. So keep plugging at it. And yeah, you know those those piston engines, they just have way too many moving parts, and to expect every single one of them to be perfect, that's just what's what's the likelihood? <laughs> that's I don't know. Well, anyway, good luck with that, Chris. Thank you for um, dialing in with us. Hey, thank you. Have a good day. Take See care, you, Chris. Okay, next up is John, who's wondering where all his oil is going. Go ahead, John. Thank you. I have a 1964 Cessna 182. Engine is a 0470R. Uh, it takes 12 quarts of oil. And I change the filter every time I change the oil. And I also clean the belly of the airplane every time I uh, change the oil. Why is it that the f about the first four quarts of oil are just spewed out the blow-by and just mess up the belly of the airplane. After the, when I have about eight quarts left, it stabilizes and it doesn't, I don't see as much spewed oil on the belly as I see it in the first four quarts. Why is it that it blows out the first four and doesn't, or maybe much less to, a, a much less uh, after the eighth, Acorn is is left. John, just curious, how long have you owned the plane? Twenty-seven years. Wow. Oh, that's wow. awesome! Somehow, I, I just had that feeling that you had owned this plane for a while. And it's done the same thing for twenty-seven years. That's yeah. awesome. Well, the, the 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 it's a good question, and 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 by the way, what you, what you're experiencing is one hundred percent typical. And it's typical of of all big bore continental engines. The first question that you didn't ask that I will answer is, <laughs> is why is the oil capacity that much? Why does it take 12 quarts? And the answer is that 
the the certification regulations under which these engines are certified, which is FAR Part 33, require that the engine be built so that its sump capacity is at least twice what it needs. So the fact that that that, that engine has a, a sump capacity of 12 quarts means that it has been shown to run great on six quarts. And in, in fact, it, it will run on less than six quarts. If you really want to know how little oil it will run on, you look up the type certificate data sheet for the engine, and it will tell you what the unusable oil amount is. And it, it will actually normally give you three different numbers, one for a level attitude, one for a nose-up attitude, and one for a nose-down attitude. And typically, the unusable oil is the greatest when the airplane is nose down because the pickup is towards the rear of the pan. So if you fill the oil sump up to 12 quarts, which is twice what the engine really needs, you get it high enough so that particularly when you have a positive deck angle like you have during during takeoff and initial climb, and the oil is is pulled toward the back of the engine, that it starts getting into the teeth of the of of the crankshaft gear, and the crankshaft gear will fling that oil all over the accessory case, and the the crankcase is positively pressurized when the engine is running because there's there's blow by combustion gases that get past the compression rings into the crankcase, and that pressure is relieved going out the engine breather, so if there's a lot of oil mist in the crankcase, that oil mist is going to get carried out the engine breather as well. So if the oil sump is really full and the engine is is tilted kind of nose up as it is in a climb, it's going to be throwing oil all over the place and a part of that oil is going to get carried out the out the breather. There's always a little bit of oil that gets carried out the breather, but it's exaggerated if the well, sump is full, and it's exaggerated if the uh, aircraft is in a nose-up attitude. So basically, the way I tell uh, some of my customers is, it's certified, so they want to make sure that you run out of gasoline before you run out of oil. That's kind of kind of the theory, I suppose. Something that we notice on, like the uh, the turbocharged uh, Columbia's and Cirrus, for instance, for the same reason they typically climb to very high altitudes. So they may have a pretty prolonged climb state and they have an eight quart sump. And I have a, a, oh, I probably shouldn't say this out loud. I'm not going to name any names, but there's an awful lot of those uh, uh, owners that will fly with oil capacities and they'll wait till it gets down to six before, maybe even five and a half quarts before they do anything. And that's only an eight quart sump. And they just let it ride there and it'll get down to that six quart point and stay there for 15, 20 hours sometimes. Yeah, we general as a general guideline, unless you're going on a transoceanic flight or something like that, <laughs> or or unless the engine is a real oil burner that uses lots and lots of oil, we generally recommend filling the sump to about two-thirds of its capacity. That seems to be a, a happy spot on most Continental engines. So in a 12-quart sump, about eight quarts is where the engine really wants to be. On a twelve, on an eight-quart sump, it, it wants to be somewhere between five and six. And, and it just, if, if, if you put more oil than it wants, it just 
throws the rest of it out the breather. <laughs> yeah, after and, 27 years of cleaning the belly, I'll bet you you notice that it's pretty clean oil and you almost want to scrape it off back into a little jar so you can use it again. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But you can't do that, yeah. yeah. So John, I didn't ask, I should have, is this a, a change or is it kind of pretty much always done this? No, it's always done this. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, as it should. Yeah, I... Wondered, and I had the opportunity to ask you guys. And well, you, you know what this means? It means that the engine was built in Mobile, Alabama. That's what it means. <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't take off at a very high, uh, steep uh, attitude, huh? Oh, well, no, it'll still no, you, that, that's a secondary consideration. Oil is not that <laughs> expensive, but yeah, yeah. If you need to climb at a high deck angle, then that yeah, you're in a situation you're not worried about oil. You know, but it would be nice if the manufacturers would have a placard that says, you know, fill to two-thirds of something or something like that. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a dirty secret that, you know, they don't actually tell you. Right. They, they would probably be violating some FAR something. if they did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> there, there are many uh, shops that when you go in for an oil change, they will require that they fill the sump to whatever its capacity is. Oh, gee. Well, you know, on their side, liability issues and all that, if they send it out with eight quarts and anything bad were to happen, that would, I, I get it. Don't have to agree with it, but I get it. I, I'd i be sucking that oil back out of the engine and putting it back in the... <laughs> Says the person that would be scraping the oil off yeah. the belly. <laughs> well, I'm the person that after you, you fill with the quart <laughs> bottles, I put them all on top of each other to try to get every last drip, you know, kind of collect it all. Yeah, that adds up to a lot. It amazingly does. enough. And it gets really messy if they fall over. And yeah. Just, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, that's that's a great question. And um, we get asked that maybe not in the podcast, but uh, within shop and in our other dealings, that question comes up very frequently. So we appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people had that question. And and it's not particular to Continentals. It's the same with my Lycoming engine. So uh, you probably asked that question for many, many airplane owners out there. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks for coming on. That's a wrap on another week. We know a lot more about maintenance than podcasting, so we'd love to hear from you. Give us your ideas on what you want us to talk about. Send your questions and comments to podcasts at aopa.org. Fly safely and have fun, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye, everybody. <laughs>